evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zugran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In many of our broadcasts, Pat has the privilege of interviewing renowned Christian apologists from across the country, and today is no exception. Today on our show, Pat will be interviewing Greg Kokel and discussing his latest book entitled Story of Reality. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's our host, Dr. Pat Zucran, with his guest, Greg Kokel, with part one of this interview. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Jesus Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, do you have the right view of reality? A recent Barna survey showed that 90% of Christians do not have a biblical worldview. And what was even more shocking, over 50% of pastors do not have a biblical worldview. Well, worldview is important. And to help us talk about it today is Greg Kokel. Greg Kokel holds several graduate degrees, both in apologetics and philosophy from Biola University. He's spoken on over 70 university campuses and hosts his own radio show for more than 26 years, Defending Christianity. Greg is the founder and president of Stand to Reason, str.org, and serves also as adjunct professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. So, Greg, welcome to Evidence and Answers once again. Hey, buddy. Yeah, great to talk to you again, Pat. Yes, Greg is a one of our favorite guests on our show and also one of our favorite speakers here in Hawaii. And he'll be here for September 21st and 22nd here at the annual Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference. So, Greg, great to have you and great to know you're coming to Hawaii again. Yeah, I had a great time with you last time, Pat. It was about a year and a half ago, but what a great group showed up. And it's just a thrill being there, making a contribution. Yes, you know, one of your new books out here is called The Story of Reality that we're right. going to be talking about today. And Greg, you state that when you ask most Christians, what is Christianity? They give you an incomplete answer. You know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship or something to that matter. What do you mean by that, that most give you an incomplete answer? Well, when you ask that question, you do get a mixture of things. I mean, some will say it's a religion, okay, I mean, because it is. Christianity is a religion. Uh, but then some might say, well, it's not actually a religion, it's a relationship and uh, or with God or a relationship with Jesus or a practical way of living your life and a code of ethics that gives you a fulfilling life. You know, and all of these things are true as far as they go, but I think that it misses something really fundamental, something foundational, and something really important. And so my answer to that question, what is Christianity, is going to be different. My answer to that question is, Christianity is a picture of reality. That is, it's a depiction or an account of the way the world actually is. It isn't our religious fantasy. It isn't just true for us. Um, that's not the way Jesus represented it. It wasn't just some kind of internal thing that was happening, according to Jesus. The most important thing about Christianity for Jesus was it, it was seeing it from the outside, that it was first and foremost an accurate representation of the way the world really was. And that's why it can be a solution for real problems 
for real people. Yes, you know, a lot of people say that, well, religion, like Christianity, only deals with, you know, the world of emotions or the world of faith. Yeah. When actually all religions are making statements about reality, about the real world around them. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, so when I say that Christianity is a picture of reality, as you pointed out, I'm not saying anything unique regarding how religions work, uh, because every religion means to be a characterization of what the world is really like down at its core. And whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism or other philosophies that stand in for religion, say atheism, for example, these are all meant to be ways of explaining how the world is structured, okay? Unfortunately, in our culture right now, Pat, and you know this really well, when it comes to questions of science, people have a certain approach to that. Yeah, well, gravity is true in a deep sense, right? No debate about that. When it comes to religion, well, they aren't going to tell you that your beliefs are false, because that would be a little bit rude, but they don't think they're true either, not in the way that gravity is true. Rather, as you pointed out, this is a matter of emotions, feelings, and faith in the sense that it's just my mere belief, and that's all there is to it. And this is what we hold on to to give our life meaning, but it's all subjective. It's all from the inside, and that is not the way Jesus presented his views to the world. Yes, that is, I believe, Nancy Piercy and Francis Schaeffer called the dichotomy that Christians have developed, uh, borrowed from the Enlightenment, that science deals with the world of facts, and Christianity or religion deals with the world of faith, and they've separated the two here, and that has done a tremendous harm in the way we view our Christian faith. Yeah, I agree with you. And just to be clear for your listeners, and I know you know this distinction, we aren't saying that faith isn't critical to Christianity, but we are seeing faith in a biblical sense, not the way many Christians and, and most non-Christians see it as a mere investment of feeling. No, faith biblically is when you put your trust in something you have good reason to believe is true. And so, you know, when I, when I get on the plane there in September <laughs> uh, to come out to Honolulu to do the Evidence and Answers Conference, I can believe that or have lots of emotions or whatever about Delta Airlines and the pilot and the airplane, blah, blah, blah. But I do not exercise faith in the biblical sense in that until I get on the plane. And notice when I get on the plane, then I'm all in, right? I'm letting the plane and the pilot do something for me I can't do for myself. And so this is the distinction that we want to make, that facts and evidence are critical in our understanding of the truth, and then we also have to invest our own trust in those facts in order to make that work for us. But when we talk about that's the kind of faith we're talking about. We're not talking about facts of science, and that's knowledge, and then this kind of touchy-feely faith, leap of faith, really, uh, blind faith that people have in religion, and that's a whole different kind of thing. No, that's a distinction we need to hang on to. Yeah, so Christianity, you know, does not just deal with, you know, my relationship with God and going to heaven. It, you're saying it's a comprehensive worldview, a comprehensive view of all of reality. It applies to all areas of this real world. Yeah, 
That's right. And by the way, if if it didn't do that, if it wasn't what it claims to be, essentially what you said, a picture of reality, then it's not going to do us any good to put our faith in Jesus for our salvation. Because if the basic facts of Christianity are not, in fact, facts, then our faith is in vain. And, and Paul said the same, essentially, regarding one aspect of our convictions, and that is the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if Christians are believing in a resurrected Jesus contrary to fact, people should feel sorry for us. That was his words. We should be pitied, is what he said. I agree with him. That's how strongly he felt about the fact of the resurrection. Yes, and that Christians need to understand that we have a comprehensive view of reality or worldview. And one of the inconsistencies in many Christians is that they feel well, Christianity only applies to my walk with God. But when it comes to science, history, uh, political theory, economics, then it does not apply. Right. And so there I need to buy into, you know, what the world or the culture is teaching at the university or the high school, right. because that's where it applies. Christianity only applies in the area of my walk with God, but not in these areas. And we end up with kind of schizophrenic Christians. Right, right. That's the same as reducing Christianity to just simply a, a feeling faith enterprise instead of seeing a, as the fact of the world that applies across the board, like you said. Yes. Now, you call this the story of reality. Yeah. <laughs> What's the story behind the reality? Well, uh, there, there's a reason I chose the language there. Um, I start out use, using an illustration of worldviews as a, as a picture of reality, and it's like a puzzle, a picture puzzle made of pieces, and you've got to have all the right pieces, and you can't mix in pieces from other puzzles that is other worldviews in if you want to get the full complete picture of reality. But then I change my metaphor. Once people kind of got that point, then I shift to the story metaphor, which is the, the main metaphor I use throughout the book, which is why the book is called the story of reality and not the picture puzzle of reality. But I actually think that's a good way of putting it for a couple of reasons. For one, uh, it is a story. I mean, it's an account in which there's a tremendous drama. All stories have four basic parts. They have a beginning. They have conflict. Something goes wrong. There's conflict resolution. And in other words, that conflict gets fixed. But most of the story is about how that conflict does get fixed. The conflict gets fixed kind of at the end. And then there's a resolution where everything's all resolved and comes together at the very end. So those are four parts. And we see that in the scripture. Uh, our scripture has a beginning, in the beginning God, and it goes all the way to the end of history at the final resurrection. And this is why I, and there's all the drama in between. There is God setting things up just so, and then man gets himself in a heap of trouble, and that's the conflict. And then there is a rescue operation that God initiates. And by the way, in our story, man does not rescue himself. God rescues him. Man can't do that. That happens in the person of Jesus, and then this brings us toward to the end of the story when everything is resolved and, and the world is made right again. And so the concept of understanding the Christian worldview, not as a kind of set of principles, abstract principles, but rather as a great flowing drama, a narrative that deeply and profoundly, I think, captures our imagination when we understand it. I think that has a way of resonating uh, with people nowadays, uh, especially nowadays, where uh, 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 
the, the concept of story is really big when people are talking about my story and as stuff like that. So this is, this is our story. The difference here, though, Pat, and I'm careful to make this distinction in the book, is that our story does not start out with the words once upon a time because our story is not meant to be understood as a fiction or as myth. It is meant to be understood as things that actually took place. In other words, the characters in the story really exist or really existed, and the events in the story actually took place in history or, for things in the future, will take place in history. So um, that's the kind of story we're telling, and that distinguishes it from uh, the rest of the kind of mythical stories people tell themselves about religion that makes them feel better but doesn't do them any good. Yeah, so... Here are the four components you say make up uh, the Christian worldview or the story of reality here. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Those are the four components there. And actually, every religion or philosophical system has a story as well, or what may be called a narrative. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. The four categories you gave are like the general categories that any worldview any narrative story of reality has to cover creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In other words, how did things begin? Where do we come from? What is the ultimate nature of reality? What is this world like kind of at its core? Is it real? Is it an illusion? You know, these are different answers people get. Is it made of all material stuff? So it's meat all the way down, so to speak, molecules in motion. That would be a materialist point of view? Or are there two kinds of worlds? Is there a physical world and a non-physical world, a natural world and a supernatural world? These are all answered under the kind of the creation motif. Uh, then you take the next step, then the fall. And this is what I was talking about before. Something goes wrong. Listen, Pat, everybody knows that there is something wrong with the world. Doesn't matter when you lived or where you lived in history, you know that there's something gone wrong, which is why people complain so much about the problem of evil, because there is a problem of evil, okay? And so there's this, every religious view, try, every narrative tries to explain what is the nature of what went wrong, because that then is connected to the next step, creation, fall, redemption, and that's the rescue. That's how you fix what went wrong. And it, different religions have different views. It depends on what they think is wrong. And then uh, the restoration, like I said, that's kind of where all, all the, the, the fix takes effect. So every religion can be really anal analyzed or assessed by those four categories that you mentioned. Yeah, so the different worldviews or philosophical systems all have this narrative. Uh, walk us through briefly, then, the atheist narrative, let's say something like Darwinism, what would be the right. narrative there? Yeah, well, the atheist narrative, their creation story uh, starts like this. In the beginning were the particles, okay? That's the simplest way to put it. The particles were moving, and that's pretty much the nature of the atheist world. Particles moving according to predictable patterns called natural law. But it's all physical, and this is why the atheist worldview is usually characterized by words like materialism or physicalism or naturalism, okay? And of course, Christians don't deny the reality of the physical world, the material world, nor that it's ordered in a certain way by natural law. But we say there's more to it than just that. The atheist 
stop right there. Okay, so what's the problem then? According to that view, and a lot depends on who you talk to, but we just don't know enough. If we increase our knowledge, then we will be able to solve the problems that we have. We'll all be able to get get along, okay? And so then we employ the solution, which is education at some level, including educating us about the nonsense of religion from their perspective, and uh, and then things will all work out. So that's kind of the atheist worldview, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But one thing I want to point out here, and this is what a lot of people don't, I don't think they put, they, they connect the dots, all right? That is, if materialism is true, then there cannot be anything wrong with the way the world is right now. The world just is the way it is, and we may not like it, and so we might improve the circumstances more to our liking through education. But we can't say that the circumstances are bad in a moral sense, because there is no morality in that sense, in the deep objective sense, in atheistic materialism, for a simple reason. Moral obligations are not material. They don't extend in space. They don't uh, respond to the laws of physics and chemistry. Um, And so there is no way that a materialistic worldview can make sense of the kind of objective moral obligations that have to be in place in order for there to really be a problem of evil. And this is one of the reasons, Pat, that I am not even, I'm not tempted in the slightest bit to consider atheism as a legitimate worldview. Because one thing is obvious to everybody, as I mentioned, and that is that there's something wrong with the world. Uh, That is, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And there can't be a way the world's not supposed to be unless there is a way the world is supposed to be. And you can't have a way the world is supposed to be unless there's a sposer, (laughs) if you catch my meaning. And that would be God. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, there's not one atheist that I have dialogued with, whether on radio or, you know, in person, who does not challenge, you know, the validity of Christianity with the problem of evil. You know, if God exists, why is there evil and suffering? Why are there kids born, you know, severely handicapped? On a, and so they know that something is indeed wrong. But as you stated, you know, that wouldn't make any sense in an atheist worldview if there is no absolute, you know, moral standard by which we're measuring it by. Yeah, that's right. And that absolute moral standard requires a someone who isn't a proper authority to make it. Here's the way I put it sometimes, Pat, so people understand it. I say I ask the question, in the country of Germany on that great, wonderful speedway, the highway they call the Autobahn, I ask, is it possible to break the speed limit on the Autobahn? And of course, the answer is no, because there are no speed limits there. In other words, you can't break speed limits that don't exist. But I said, but I also pointed out that if Germany wasn't a country and there was no government, even on the regular roads, there wouldn't be any speed limits because it takes a government to make a speed limit before a speed limit can be broken. And in the same way, on a universal perspective, there can only be evil in the world if there are speed limits that are broken. And there can only be speed limits broken in the world if there is a government over the world to make those speed limits, so to speak. And this this is what, as you know, Pat, is called the moral argument for God's existence. And I think it's a powerful one. And it's a serious flaw 
in atheism that it is not able to account for the most salient and obvious detail of the world, and that is that something's wrong with it. Yes, and the redemption, you know, comes through education or science that will lead us into this restoration or this utopia. Right. But, you know, how, how realistic is that? Many have tried, you know, socialism and right. scientism and others, and uh, I, I really I don't think people find that redemption story very uh, realistic. Well, I think some people think it can happen because there has been progress with science, and that makes them optimistic. And if there is no God, then it's the only game in town. <laughs> okay. Right. The problem is, is that it's not the right assessment. They're wrong about the problem. The problem isn't education. The problem is sin. The problem is man's moral brokenness, his rebellion against his creator, his desire to live autonomous lives. And so this is the reason why none of those sophisticated self-help programs are going to cure the problem, because they are self-help. That is, everybody's trying to help themselves, and people have competing interests. So whose self-interest ends up ruling in those systems. And I'll tell you whose self-interest ends up ruling. It's the person with the most power. And so this is why we see all of these systems, these atheistic political systems, they degenerate into totalitarianism every single time because that's the way the program works. It's all there is available to them. All right. Well, that's the atheist uh, story of reality. Well, what about the pantheist story of reality, say like the New Age? What's their story? Right. Well, the New Age is kind of a subset of Eastern religion, and where the atheist says that matter is all that is real, the only thing that exists is matter in motion, the Eastern version here says essentially that mind is all that's real, and matter is just part of the illusion, that God is the only reality, that's the one mind, Brahman, and the individuals, uh, like humans, Atman in, in Hindu uh, religion, are really God himself. Atman is Brahman, and Brahman is Atman. But we have to be clear on what that means, because the New Age has made a lot of this, and, wow, we're all gods, you know, isn't that great? You're divine, I'm divine, we're all divine. But, you know, when you get down to the fine print, it turns out what that means is you and I don't even exist. We're all part of the illusion. Good, evil, it's all part of the illusion. The only thing that exists is God, and the rest of reality is just an illusion. Now, you talk to different New Age people and writers, you read them, and they're going to spin it a little bit differently. But it, the, all of them run into the same problem with the denigration of the physical world and the exaltation of the idea that God is in everything because he is everything. That's what pantheism means. You used that word a moment ago. And that sounds noble. That makes, I mean, wow, that means I'm God and you're God and we're all God. Yeah, but that all that means is we're nothing, really, because we individually don't exist. And ironically, one of the biggest problems that pantheistic Eastern religion types run into is the problem of evil. <laughs> in the same way that the atheists run into the problem of evil. I should say, uh, they don't run into it, they can't run into it because they deny it. But it turns out that's exactly what 
the the mindism, I call them matterism, the atheists, and mindism, the New Age crowd, they run into the same problem, because if God, if everything is God and God is everything, then there is no difference between good and evil. There can't be a problem of evil if there is no difference between good and evil. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak to your church, Bible study, or perhaps even at a conference, please give him a call. That's area code 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.